This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times. Typhoon Hajibis has taken its toll on the Rugby World Cup with huge implications for the quarterfinal weekend. Le Crunch is cancelled and England have moved to Miyazaki to prepare for the last eight. But the big question remains, will Scotland's match go ahead against Japan? I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me literally from the eye of the storm are Owen Slott and Stephen Jones. Gentlemen, gentlemen... What an unprecedented bit of news we've had over the last 24 hours. Are you okay? Have you battened down the hatches and uh, locked up in the hotel? Well, Jones's toupee's already blown off. It's <laughs> not very nice. That's all my own hair. It's funny, Lawrence, because it, it is the calm before the storm at the moment. We're on the 28th floor of our hotel. And seriously, the, the, the view out there to, 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 to Tokyo is wonderful. It's, it's obviously it's built up, but skyscraper after skyscraper, but all with their lights on. And it is an absolutely beautiful city. It's almost Parisian. And the idea that, you know, that, that almost hell's going to come down on it shortly on, on, on Saturday uh, with Typhoon Hibibis, is it? Uh, I mean, Hajibis. Hajibis. Or it's also called Typhoon 19 because they count them here. Yeah. And um, my goodness, it, it's it's predicted to be really, really, really wild. But Jonesy, if you know a, a typhoon's coming, would you have made the choice to move hotels and go to the 28th floor of a, of a skyscraper? Well, not really. We all wanted to be on the low floor. We wanted to be <laughs> underground, Lawrence. But when we got here, reception was on the 25th floor. So that was the minimum. So what, you're on the 34th, I'm you? on 34. They put the troops they need the least to the highest up, I think. I'm the most expendable. Taking a, a meteorological uh, terminology, in the UK, everyone is in deep, deep depression here, literally. I mean, what, what is the mood in, in, in Tokyo and Yokohama and, and across Japan? Because this is disastrous for the tournament itself. It, it's disastrous for the tournament. Just before we go on, though, um, Lawrence, this is the biggest typhoon of its type they've ever had here. And although in, in our high-rise hotel we should be okay, it is not very, very common for these big ones where, you know, for loss of life, loss of property, uh, etc. And uh, it was described as a multi-million dollar disaster in the making. That's a quote mm. from an expert who's been through these. So... Um, the first thing is uh, really to hope that Tokyo people and all their all their goods and services and etc. come through because it really is a massive storm that's going that's to hit on Saturday. No, you're, you're quite right. They were saying that it's the la- predicted to be the largest typhoon for 26 years, which is quite something. And I mean, this is not about respecting rugby matches. This is actually about respecting the force and power of the weather and the havoc that it can cause. And obviously, uh, the, the first concern and primary concern and only concern, quite frankly, has to be about the safety of, uh, of people that are over there. But I mean, clearly, it has huge knock-on effects uh, for everyone. The fans who have um, forked out fortunes to, to travel to Japan, the players who, and we'll get on to a few of those in a minute, who are trying to prepare for their for their final game some of them their final game in the world cup some of them to try and progress further in the tournament just dealing with the issue itself world rugby who you've got to feel sorry for they've they've taken this action swiftly fairly decisively um and quite effectively have they got it right i don't think we really know lawrence they've clearly got it right in that they've cancelled the games um or, or they 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 called off the games that would would have been affected by this typhoon. So, of course, they had to do that. The, the conversation that, that we're going round and round on is, could they have done more? Could there, could there have been better and more contingencies put in place? 
Um, as we know all too well now, uh, typhoons aren't, aren't unusual around here. So that is the question that, that, that I think, it, you know, specialists of people who run events and, 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 and weather people would know whether more could have been done. But at the moment, we're just left with what we've got, which is a tournament that, it, that has just been shaken to its bones. You've got teams that are being eliminated without having had a chance to survive. And, uh, and and you've got, I don't know, potential lawsuits coming up as well. I wouldn't be surprised. And Lawrence, I think the thing is, um, things like um, England, France, you could say at the heart of it, well, actually, um, neither side didn't really matter who won, who lost, and et cetera, and France are not playing very well. But it does sort of offend your sense of sport that the game is just not ever going to be played. And also, another one is, is the All Blacks in Italy. Now, Italy have been really, really poor in this tournament. But you do feel that they were still in it and they've been kicked out before they've... It would have been the shock of all time had they won. But at least they deserve the chance. And at least in terms of... In rugby terms, you don't ever turn down the challenge. And, and that, that's quite hurtful as well. And, and that is difficult to get over. Whether or not rugby will, uh, will rugby could have done anything, it's very, very difficult to say. Fiendishly difficult uh, you know, you're talking about changing. I mean, there's not going to be any transport from late on Friday to mid to midday on Sunday because of this storm. Now, how on earth we were all supposed to go to another location? I just do not know. So it is fiendishly difficult. Did you see the stuff from from Geraldini today? He, this is his, is his last World Cup. He's and the game against the All Blacks was likely to be his last uh, international for. Uh, Italy ever after you know decade plus of anyway he was just told hey, sorry it's all over yeah. um, and he was in tears when he was given the news yes yeah I, I can understand that's that. a, that's the personal kind of yeah. side of it you know, I mean, personally, I can 100% understand the decision that World Rugby have made. You know, they have to put people's safety, you know, first. And quite frankly, if I was over in Tokyo and someone said to me, this is the largest storm we've had in 26 years, that would cause a huge amount of concern. I mean, just moving on to the implications, as you said, what we do know is that the England-France game is definitely cancelled. We know that the New Zealand-Italy game is cancelled. And as you say, it it is unfair on those countries particularly on Italy uh, and, to a certain extent, France. Uh, you mentioned Giraldini, uh, Owen. Also, Sergio Parisi, the, uh, the former captain or, uh, and the great, the great player that he is, you know, denied a proper farewell. And I think uh, I was reading his quotes. If New Zealand needed the points, would it have been cancelled? It's ridiculous that there was no Plan B contingency. It's not exactly big news that typhoons hit Japan. Now, maybe he hadn't really digested the... The, the, the size of this typhoon, but you can kind of understand his sentiment, even if it is sort of delivered in, in anger. World Rugby have, have clearly made these decisions, not lightly, but, but you do feel that if, if New Zealand needed the points to progress to the tournament, you know, would they be holding, they'd have cancelled the game and maybe trying to replay it on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, because it's not quite such big news if Italy go out. That's a very, very good question, Lawrence, and I cannot believe the All Blacks some, somehow would have bully-boyed their way through and, and got, an, got the game on another time. And really admire Giraldini and Parise for, you know, it can easily say, oh, we don't want to lose by 50 to the All Blacks, but they, they wanted to go out there and play like the gladiators they are. And again, along with the fans' story, that, that, is, that is one of the stories that, it's going to, that it is going to haunt us. It is going to haunt us. Well, Jones, you mentioned the, um, mentioned the fans, and I don't think we can really sort of quite get our heads around it because there are tens of thousands of fans in this country already trying to digest what's happening. 
Uh, I was in the England camp in the England hotel today, and 300 England fans with Gullivers were just checking into the hotel just as the England team who they were, had come over to watch were checking out to to, to leave. So they, they were taking that on board. But there's lots of fans already who came here for the the, the 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 two big weekends of Argentina and France, not the England fans, and 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 loads and loads of them are already on booking their flights, getting out on Friday before the storm comes. And, and that's the right thing to do. But, you know, these, these are trips that people have, have prepared for and saved for. And I mean, it's, and, that's all, and I'm just thinking about the England fans. It's all over the place. Yeah. I guess the, the, the world rugby, uh, as you say, Jonesy, are in such a perilous position because a lot of people have come out and said, well, why don't, why, why don't some of these games take the place of, uh, of the slot that was given to Namibia against Canada, say, and... You know, why doesn't New Zealand and Italy take the slot of the USA-Tonga game and, and then you can find time to, uh, to play those games at a future date? But uh, it's, it's not just the matches themselves. It's about, you know, getting people around safely. And uh, as I said, until this typhoon actually hits, we, we kind of won't know what we're dealing with here. That's true. And, uh, but, you know, uh, you know Namibia and, and Canada, probably the two least impressive teams in this tournament. But my goodness... You know, I spent time with the Namibian team this week. They deserve the chance, those two teams, to get their first victory of this tournament. And they train like mad for it. And they're amateurs. And, and frankly, in my heart, Lawrence, I don't see that if, if, if England were playing New Zealand, I don't, or England, uh, England were playing France, which they were, I don't see that they've got any more right than, than Namibia and Canada to get their game on. The other thing is, it is a long, long way away. And whether or not you could transport all the officials, all the teams, the refs, the backup, uh, the fans, whether you could have transported them all, I very, very much doubt. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, this is a typhoon of unprecedented scale and size. I'm assuming planes don't fly in typhoons, right? A tra- I mean, bullet, if bullet trains don't travel in typhoons, then, you know, you really do have a problem on your hands. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think World Rugby have, have, have made the correct decision. They've made it early enough. And, yes, it's massively disappointing and difficult for us all to comprehend. But... Uh, you know, I go back to that point around safety. This is this is something far bigger than just rugby in a tournament. I think what we're debating is, you say, could the Namibia-Canada game have been postponed and, and so that one of the other games could have gone into that slot? Well, we don't know if that we, we don't know if that was feasible or not. I think that sounds a pretty good idea to me. You could have played Namibia-Canada the following day. You, you, you look at the Japan-Scotland game. Kamaishi would take to 8,000 people. Yeah, but you're not going to get the fans there, but you, but you could get the game there. Talking about the Japan-Scotland game, I mean, what are the options? Is there any chance that game goes ahead? Because at the moment, I think World Rugby, the latest we've heard from them is that they're going to leave that to the very last moment, see how this typhoon impacts and to, you know what sort of devastation it, it might cause and make a decision on Scotland against Japan on the morning of the match itself. Yeah, that's correct. They, they, they're letting the typhoon breeze through, and then on Sunday is equivalent of a pitch inspection. They'll, they'll see if it, see what damage the, the thing's caused. You have to be pretty doubtful about whether it will go ahead. But so, so, so my question then is, why not play it 24 hours later? Why not postpone it? Uh, and then you get into the next thing as well. If you're prepared to postpone one, then why don't you juggle the timing with the others? And that's what World Rugby said they wouldn't do. They said they said. They said it's got to be the same rule for all or nothing. I mean, I guess the question, the big question, and there will be plenty more asked, is 
to what extent was this discussed before the tournament with each and every country that took part? Because as Sergio Parisi has as, uh, as alluded to, you know, we knew it was the typhoon season. Obviously, no one predicted one quite this size, but it'd be fascinating to learn from World Rugby. Was there any contingency plans put in place pre-tournament for this type of thing to happen was that discussed with each and every single team because Eddie Jones and we'll get on to England in a second Eddie Jones had talked about the weather playing a, a huge part in the tournament he'd, he'd mentioned the fact that games might be cancelled because of typhoons and I'm, you're assuming if he understood that then every other coach of every other international team had signed up to this protocol before the tournament started so I think just to uh, to put the blame uh, at World Rugby's door I think is, uh, is, is pretty tough to me First of all I'm not 100% sure if it's correct to say it's the typhoon season I think it's slightly after the peak typhoon correct. season we, we haven't had correct, one Weatherman Jones Thank correct. you very much We haven't been here we've been here for nearly uh, a month yeah. And, and and there's been no, you know, we haven't had a typhoon. And this one is, look, uh, it does happen like that. It's come from nowhere. But I don't think we're in the peak of the typhoon season. But there is no question, and this is um, solid gospel truth, that the team signed up to a system where if the game was off, it would not be rearranged and it would be down as a, a draw. And that is what they all signed up to. There is absolutely no doubt about that at all. All right. Can I just follow that? Yeah. The, as long as you agree with me. Well, I, I don't. The teams will sign up to the tournament agreement, but funnily enough, it's Scotland who's been digging through it. They've published uh, a sub-sub-clause of the tournament agreement, which uh, which would suggest that World Rugby are obliged to try and, and get the game on somewhere else or another day. There, there is something in there, and Scotland are using that to, to batter the heads of World Rugby to try and get this Sunday game on. Well, that, 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 that is not how I see it. So, we, you know, obviously, it's going to be one of those things that goes down to the blokes in wigs, I suppose. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the legal profession, I mean, not a bloke in a wig. No, I think the, well, your wig blew off earlier. We talked about that. I don't with the talk. This Scotland-Japan game, you, you feel for the Scotland players uh, and coaches and fans and everyone because for them, as you, you know, the games that have been cancelled thus far, the results don't really matter. For Scotland-Japan, the results definitely matter. And that's where you've got to feel presumably trading as if it's going to go ahead, to have that cruelly taken away from you without having it, you know, being able to uh, have your say is really, really tough. To go out of a competition when you're standing in your, in your tracksuit, you know, in a hotel, you'd probably rather go out, you know, you'd probably rather lose to the worst team in the world as long as you went out there and had a chance to beat them. But not, not to, look, there's no doubt about it, uh, Lawrence, no one's actually disagreeing in any way. It would be absolutely frightful, horrendous, if any team, Scotland or any team, has to go home and they'd never even have the chance to go out there and see what they could do. That is, that is the looming nightmare that world rugby must be living every minute of every day. The thing is that that Japan-Scotland game needs a bit of context as well. In terms of pool games and World Cups, this is about as big as it's ever been. Mm. I mean, the, 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 this whole tournament seems to have been building towards the climax of that game on the 13th of October. Mm. And it's and because Japan have been so wonderful and they, they, they knocked over the Irish. And, and, and we're just, you know, the, the rugby world is desperate to see if they can do it again. And Scotland are trying to defy the hosts. And, you know, in many ways, Scotland have become the underdogs. And there's, there's so much in this game. And, and just for it just to go... Well, it would just be 
so, so disappointing for this tournament. Well, you're absolutely right. And, I mean, just to put it into context, I mean, there's so many typhoon experts that have suddenly popped up. I mean, I'm not sure if any of us have experienced any natural disasters or where the weather has really take, taken its toll, you know, in terms of the destruction and devastation it can cause. And I think it's really important that we, you know, yes, we're talking about the implications and knock-on effects of, of what it might have on, it, on this team and these players, but we have to put it into context. This decision is not about respecting rugby matches. It's about respecting human life. It, it is. I mean, the last time um, a, a typhoon came through, there were three fatalities in the Japanese area. Well, this one is meant to be two and a half times as strong as that. The other thing is, that if you add the sporting bit, Lawrence, there, there are absolutely no winners in this. There, it's one of those things that it's a natural thing that's coming. It's not man-made. It's a natural disaster that's on its way. And uh, or it's hopefully, hopefully not a disaster, but... Um, you know, there are no winners. No one's going to come out ahead. No one's, and um, that's really sad. And it's sad for for Japan because, as you'll find out when you come down next week, it has been an absolutely bloody marvelous World Cup. It's been frustrating. It's been culturally difficult, but it's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and I think you know what we think about different things aren't mutually exclusive. We can feel sorry for Japan, you know, and, and you can feel sorry for Scotland in the, in the same way. And for me, I can feel sorry for for World Rugby because I think they've been faced with a with such a difficult decision to make. And I'm sure that they've gone as far as they can to try and get those games rescheduled and replayed in 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 the time that that they've got. Because you know, listen, we've all been part of major tournaments. Uh, you know, I remember European Cup matches being cancelled because of adverse weather and then replayed two or three days later. But it's it, it's a little bit of snow here and there, a little bit of rain here and there is one thing. A, a typhoon hitting a city that's already had a couple of earthquakes earlier on this week, albeit relatively minor, 4.5 on the Richter scale. You know, it's, it's serious business. Let's move on to England for a second, which feels, uh, feels a bit odd having talked about everything we have before. But uh, Eddie Jones is clearly a man who has got his preparation and planning spot on because he kind of was better prepared for this than, than possibly anyone else. I'm not sure delight is the word I would use, but uh, he did um, try and make humour of it by saying that the typhoon gods are, are smiling on England. Why would he have been saying that? Because they go into that final game with a little bit more uncertainty in terms of their squad and it just gives them a chance to regroup themselves? He can see that, the, that this might be advantageous for his team. He, they're, they're, England will have... 14 days break between their penultimate game and their, and their quarter-final against Australia. The Australians will have had eight days in between. That's quite a significant difference. They get to go uh, out of Tokyo, down to the South Island, to Miyazaki, to, to, to the seaside where they've been training before, which they really like, they're familiar with. Eddie Jones, he likes to give us the message that everything's going well. Um, that, that's just part of the way he operates. But you, you can see what you're saying. It, they've got a break and then they're going to get that quarterfinal. That's not bad, is it? No, it's not bad at all. I mean, they, they had some injury concerns over Billy Vanapola, I understand, with it. he was walking around in a boot. Owen Farrell had a, had a, had a stomach infection along with, with Luke Cowan Dickey and he probably had one or two other injury concerns around Jack Knoll and, and one or two others, maybe Joe Marler. So, yes, it is an opportunity to um, to have a rest and... I mean, if you're Eddie Jones, you've probably got 14 days to uh, to work out how England can produce a world-class performance that's going to suggest that they can actually win this World Cup. I, I agree, Lawrence, and that there's just another thing to bear in mind is that if you remember when the old playoffs started in the Premiership back in England, it was noticeable that the team that had the day uh, had the week off always seemed to fare badly against the team that had played every week. 
sometimes you get into a rhythm. But I, I think Eddie was slightly being disingenuous because it's all very well having the break and saying, oh, we'll get Billy fit. If you've already given a definitive performance in the tournament and, and set out your store, but they haven't. And they don't know. They're hoping for the best, but we don't know if they can. I would have loved to have seen the French game on just to see the definitive performance. They haven't given it. And whatever Eddie says, it is in the lap of the gods. And he couldn't put his hand on heart and be possibly as optimistic as he sounds. I've got no doubt about that. I'm sure that Eddie is worried because they've not shown what they can do. Owen, would you you concur with that? Do you think England have... uh, I mean, obviously, they'll take the rest. They'll take the break. They've been talking in the camp about about just taking whatever comes their way. They they plan for for pretty much every eventuality. But uh, they could have done with that extra game against France just to get themselves into that kind of uh, frame of mind. Yeah, there's, there's ups and downs to that, isn't there? He, I completely agree with Jonesy. They, they haven't had a definitive performance or anything like it. Um, unfortunately, the Argentina game, that they were denied that by the red card. So that, that didn't help. I thought they were pretty good for a quite reasonable period of that game. But, but still, they, they faded. They haven't looked like a World Cup winning side yet. And now Jones has got the fortnight to do so. So, 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 so you're weighing at one. They would have liked the game. They would have liked to have found the rhythm. Scott Wise-Mantel, the, uh, the attack coach, was saying that some of the back players, especially around Owen Farrell, had been clunky, and he wanted to work out that clunkiness. Well, he's not got that opportunity now. So they're missing out on that side of things. But, but simultaneously, they're not going to play a game. They're going to be fresh. All those injured players that you mentioned, you, you, you've done your research, Lawrence, that, that all those players are, were, were doubts for this weekend. They'll probably all be available for the following weekend. At least that's what they said today. That they're pretty economical with that sort of information. So, you know, there's upsides and downsides to that, that's for sure. Well, listen, on a much brighter note, in the last couple of days, the World Cup did give us that wonderful game between Wales and Fiji. You know, the Welsh managed to avoid defeat, and we'll talk about them in a second. But, Jonesy, a word on Fiji. They were magnificent, weren't they, throughout? I mean, they've got some spectacularly good individuals who who deserve to be on the world stage. And uh, I know you were really particularly impressed and pleased with their performance. Oh, just unbelievable. And uh, no one could have complained had they won it. They were absolutely magnificent. And, you know, I was I saw so much on social media and read so much that, oh, you know, don't worry, uh, Fiji will have a good 10 minutes, then Wales will cruise to victory. I, I actually wrote in the paper last week, if Wales win 3-0, they'll, they'll take it. And it's funny because, you know, you, Radrada, uh, Semi Radrada, uh, Joshua Tusova, uh, ben Volavola, th- these guys were just magnificent. They were absolutely magnificent. But I, I think, in a way, equally startling was the fact that how well did Fiji st- hold up in the scrum? Their lineout was much better than, than than Wales. I don't think Fiji hardly lost a lineout. And do you know what? In my opinion, they just got a little bit anxious, and they they put in a couple of high hits. And I, and I was watching, and I was saying, for goodness sake, boys, all you've got to do now is, is, is not get yellow. Don't put high hits in, because sometimes they get carried away. They put two of them in, and then they lost two players. My goodness, Wales were, i say lucky, but the, the, they must have breathed a sigh of relief afterwards that almost blew the stand down. And to be fair to Wales, they played in two of the best games of the tournament against Australia and Fiji. And Lawrence, um, one thing I said on Twitter last night is, who dares now call Fiji a tier two nation? That label should be banned for all time because they are a tier one nation. 
they're great to watch and they they absolutely electrified the World Cup. But the trouble with that with all that is, James, isn't it, that they're they're a tier one nation for the three weeks of the year when of every four years when they're given the opportunity to be so. And and I completely agree that, that what we saw showed that they could compete, that they are competing, but they're going to vanish now. They'll tour a bit next no, next year. Uh, there'll be nothing like like what we see now because they won't have had any time together. We know all that stuff. We've, we've, we've gone through it over and over again. And we won't see a Fiji like this again for four years. I think, Owen, what's what's very clear, and listen, World Rugby have got a, a lot on their plate right now, but when the dust settles on, on this Rugby <laughs> World Cup, there's no doubt they need to look long and hard at the performances of Fiji. I would say the performances of Japan, and I c- couldn't agree more with you, Jonesy, about the fact that you know this is not Tier 1, Tier 2. If that's the way you're going to go, then there's a few Tier 1 nations that need to be relegated into Tier 2, and there's a few that need to be promoted up to Tier 1. And uh, should no. Fiji continue to play in the Pacific Nations Cup, the answer is on the evidence of what we've seen here absolutely not so they you know should Japan continue to play in the tournament that they've been playing in is that going to make them any better of course it's not so they need to come you know knock some heads together and come up with a solution like they did for Argentina maybe it had something to do with the fact that they had a seat at the political table to negotiate that with Gus Pichot but if Fiji and Japan had a seat at that table you know would they be able to get the same things put through for them and I I disagree I don't think we're just going to go back to things as they were over the last couple of World Cups because you know their performances, particularly Japan, particularly Fiji, have just been stunning, and uh, and it demands a change in what happens going forward. I agree with you completely. I I don't think the world rugby should see this as a problem. I think they should see this as just brilliant news that what we've seen at this World Cup is is undeniable evidence that those two nations, Japan and Fiji, are, are at a level where they can compete. That. So, so, so take it on, you know, run with it. It's, it's the real success of this World Cup so far, as I'm concerned. Yeah, and is it a surprise that, as I said once already on this pod, that 20% of all professional rugby players come from the Pacific Islands? So, you know, if, if World Rugby wants them to stay in the Pacific Islands and play for their countries of birth rather than play for England or New Zealand or France, then they've got to continue to invest in the future of, the, of those rugby nations. Exactly, and that's got to be not not two hundred pounds grant, not twenty thousand pounds grant. It's got to be millions uh, 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 as a grant. Whether it's to put the Pacific a Pacific Warriors team in Super Rugby, or whether it's to to have Fiji in Tier One, and and it, when they're in Tier One, that means that England, France, Scotland, Ireland, or Wales go down to Lotoka or, or Suva to play rugby. Never mind if the committee don't get gin and tonics or they don't get big beds. They cannot... Owen's right about this danger of going for four years then they come back in four years' time. If that happens again, they might as well win the World Cup and just have the top six nations playing with each other. This time, it has got to change. A quick word about Wales. They did come through that game unscathed, just about. I think they're, they're probably uh, a few ice packs being passed around the uh, the Welsh team hotel after some pretty big hits and quite a physical match. But, I mean, as you said, they've been involved in, in two of the best fixtures of the tournament so far. And, and Warren Gatlin's going to be very, very happy because they have shown us some real quality, through, you know, not just in their first choice 15, but actually in some of the backup players. And, and they go through now to, uh, to a quarterfinal against France and, and they've got to be feeling in good shape. They're sort of the exact opposite to where England are, aren't they? Wales have had, have had two massive tough games and they've shown shown what they got and impressed. And um, you, you would look at that and you go, well, they're World Cup contenders for sure. On the other hand, Christmas, are they banged up, Lawrence? 
Dan Bigger, who I think is one of our most important players, if not the most, he's had two HIAs, uh, two concussions already in this tournament. Uh, how good is he going to be uh, next week or the week after? Well, hopefully he'll be brilliant. But um, uh, they're racking up the, the, the kind of the kind of fatigue that England just haven't got anywhere near. You know, just going into individual think Thomas Francis is massively important because their backup scrummage is not of true world class. But when you've got Ken Owens and Alan Wynne Jones there, the leadership that they have is excellent. I'm not quite sure I like the all open side sort of back row they sometimes choose, but again, it seems to work for them. But but key men, Alan Wynne, obviously, Jonathan Davis is playing out of his skin, as he does in big games, and he limped off. So as long as that's not a, ham, a, a torn hamstring, that's fine as well. Liam Williams is playing quite beautifully. Josh Adams finished well, didn't play all that well all round. But they do have some excellent players. The scrum's got to hold up, but also... Uh, I think they'll be hopefully they'll be playing Adam Beard on Sunday, who's been out of this with illness. Now, Adam Beard, I think, is the next world-class lock. Not yet, but if he can come through the Uruguay game if selected, then I think he's back in contention because he is a beast and a good player. So let, let's see. I, I don't make them favourites, but I'll tell you what, they're not far off. Jonesy, listen, I really enjoyed your absolutely fascinating interview uh, with David Walsh. You managed to track him down. Well, all don't of... tell Walsh that it's fascinating, though. We, we never hear the last of it. All of our listeners had a really, really wonderful Ruck special talk. David Walsh in conversation with Stephen Jones talking about, of course, Salazar, the coach, the, the band coach, the disgraced coach so far. and the, just, just talking very quickly about, about that and what it and what it means for, for, for our sport, rugby. I mean, as someone who played professionally and was tested on numerous occasions, as are many of my peers, you know, I, I would say rugby does a huge amount to uh, to dispel such problems. But do, do you think we can afford to be complacent in that area? No, definitely not. We can't afford to be complacent. But it's interesting with David uh, Lawrence. You, you know him. Uh, you've worked with him. You know him as well as I do. That that David has an unerring instinct for these things. And that's why I asked him, you know, if he says years ago, Lance Armstrong, he thought was dodgy. Well, I believed him. And now he says, and I, I didn't push him or anything like that. He says he thinks rugby in general at elite level is, is pretty good. Not perfect, but pretty good. He, he'd like to see there be more testing at the sort of what you might call the emerging elite level. You know, the kids who are bulking up and trying to get bigger, stronger, uh, he'd like to see more testing all over the place. Or, well, wouldn't we all? But I think at the moment, he's he's reasonably sanguine about it. And, and he, he's not a medical expert, but he is an expert. He's got a nose for it. And uh, I, I love talking to David. And, um, I, you know, I think at the moment we're OK. But complacency, no, cannot be. I couldn't agree more. And if you haven't listened to that, it's uh, definitely worth downloading in that little ruck special David Walsh in conversation with uh, Jonesy chaps moving to the weekend's games I mean I say that with uh, with half a smile on my face let's hope we get some rugby across the weekend and everything passes safely but there are one or two other games that we know for now are definitely going ahead Australia Georgia well that impacts on England in uh, a couple of weeks time let's talk about Ireland Ireland Samoa which is uh, due to take place on Saturday, 11.45. Ireland have named, obviously, a full-strength side. I don't think any of us think that there'll be any issues with them winning that game. It's just a question of giving themselves some confidence and doing as much as they can to progress and set up a knockout round match in the future. Yeah, actually, if Samoa win that game and deny Ireland a single point, then I think Ireland don't go through to the quarter-final. So that'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> it would for someone, but certainly not for uh, Joe Schmidt and the Ireland team. I mean, uh, I'll just say hello to my Irish mates. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, they're in the queue behind Owen Farrell's mother now. Don't worry about that. They've been nowhere near their best uh, for some inexplicable reason, but they do have on paper a very, very strong side. And listen, you, we can't rule anyone off in terms of a one-off match. So uh, uh, I'm sure they'll just look to try and get through this Samoa game in good shape, get some decent tries on the board and, and come away with no injuries. But we can't see any real upset taking place there, can we? I think if it had been earlier in the tournament, maybe, but I think Samoa, Lawrence, are tired. They've given everything. They're not the normal Manu Samoa class side. And I think that, you know, they will do really well to stop Ireland scoring the bonus point try. Be nice in many ways, uh, if you're not Irish, if they did do that. But let's hope it's a cracking game. And let's hope, really, that Ireland come through and, uh, and join the list of contenders because... You can't have too many great contenders in the last eight of the World Cup. No, I couldn't agree more. And listen, gentlemen, let's hope that you can persuade someone who's perhaps uh, got a room on floors one and two to swap with you guys on, on floors 23 because uh, you can't be feeling too comfortable up there at the top of the tower, can you? No, we're, we're OK. We're OK. We're, we're, we'll be, we'll be, we're going to have a sort of um, typhoon party, aren't we? Yeah, we're all, ty- all the lads. Typhoon party on floor 34. <laughs> yeah. Lawrence, I've also got a message from, from, from you to pass on. Um, I was going to do it later, but the... The Japanese chauffeur cab company are going to pick you up on the runway when you come in. <laughs> uh, don't uh, go through customs. Seriously, don't go through customs. Just go through the uh, the famous people <laughs> channel. And uh, you're in room one at the hotel on the ground floor. And uh, the butler says he'll see you when you enter if you want any help with your kit. And then you'll be helicoptered, obviously, to the ITV studios where you're sitting in your sedan chair and... Um, with the latecomers and uh, doing doing your work. So I just wanted to get that message. <laughs> Thank you, Jonesy. You've obviously spoke to customs and told them that uh, Hajibis is not the only typhoon arriving in Tokyo uh, in You're the next couple of days. <laughs> well, gentlemen, you go and get yourself into somewhere safe and, uh, and warm, and we look forward to chatting on the other side. And let's hope that uh, we don't hear any more weather stories and the wonderful weekend of rugby that was planned is still able to go ahead and we can get a winner from the Japan v Scotland game. Quite right, Lawrence. Agreed. Yeah, and Lawrence, you're bringing out a, a spare credit card for me, right? Well, listen, I'm happy to be your uh, mule for whatever you need to, me to bring out to Tokyo. I presume it's all been vetted and uh, is perfectly safe. Lawrence, he's actually using mine at the moment, so for God's sake, hurry up. <laughs> uh, it's it absolute dying straight, Lawrence. <laughs> My wallet has gone astray and now I'm purely on the bank of S. Jones at the moment, so... Um, <laughs> We need rescuing. Well, I'm surprised he's let you be on the phone for this long. My thanks to Owen Slot and to Stephen Jones. So, no England against France to review, and we won't know until Sunday if Scotland against Japan goes ahead. But we do know that The Ruck will be back with all the latest once the pool stage is finally wrapped up. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now via Acast, iTunes, or your preferred podcast provider. <laughs> 